science fiction and theology? Michael Gleghorn describes what's going on in C.S. Lewis's book, Out of the Silent Planet. Now, on Probe. Out of the Silent Planet, C.S. Lewis's first foray into the science fiction genre, was originally published in 1938. Lewis, who enjoyed the science fiction stories of authors like H.G. Wells, was nonetheless troubled by elements in these stories that were morally and intellectually objectionable. According to Alistair McGrath, Lewis realized that the forms of science fiction used to promote various forms of atheism and materialism could be used to critique these viewpoints and advocate an alternative. This is what Lewis did in Out of the Silent Planet, and what he continued to do in two follow-up books. Paralandra, and That Hideous Strength. Together, these books are commonly known as the Space Trilogy. Out of the Silent Planet tells the story of Dr. Elwyn Ransom, who is drugged, kidnapped, and taken aboard a spaceship traveling to Mars. Weston and Divine, the two men who kidnap Ransom, have been to Mars before and believe the planet's inhabitants want them to bring back another human being, wrongly assuming the person may be wanted as a sacrifice. Weston is a physicist, interested in finding potential planets for humanity to colonize once our own planet becomes uninhabitable. Divine is an investor, hoping to make some money from the Enterprise. On their way to Mars, which is known as Malacandra to its own inhabitants, Ransom learns that his life may be in danger once they reach the planet. Hence, shortly after their arrival, Ransom escapes his kidnappers and ends up meeting a creature called a Hross one of the planet's native inhabitants. He soon learns that these are intelligent and moral beings, who in some ways are even superior to our own species, for they have not been infected with the same moral illness that plagues humankind. Eventually, Ransom even meets the designated ruler of the planet, a spiritual intelligence referred to as an Oryarsa. He then learns why Earth is known as the Silent Planet. After publishing the book, Lewis wrote to one interested correspondent that most of the early reviews had completely missed elements of Christian theology that he had woven into his narrative. He humorously noted that apparently any amount of theology can now be smuggled into such a book without anyone's even noticing. So how much theology did Lewis smuggle into out of the silent planet? That's what we'll discuss in the remainder of this program. This has been Probe with your host, Dr. Michael Gleghorn. To get your free copy of Michael's transcript, Smuggled Theology, in Out of the Silent Planet, go to probe.org. Then join us next time here on Probe. This week, we're considering smuggled theology in C.S. Lewis's novel, Out of the Silent Planet. As Weston, Divine, and Ransom travel through space on their way to Mars, Ransom is surprised by just how good he is feeling. Courageous, joyful, alert, and full of life. He reflects upon the fact that he had been educated to regard space as the black, cold vacuity separating the worlds. He comes to realize, however, that this was all wrong. The term space, he muses, was utterly inadequate for this ocean of radiance in which they swam. He thus rejects the term, observing that older thinkers had been wiser when they named it simply the heavens, the heavens which declared the glory. Ransom is here reflecting upon the words of King David in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
As one commentator remarks, David was moved by observing that the heavens, under the dominating influence of the sun, declare the splendor of God's handiwork. The reference to the sun here is apt, for it is largely through the influence of the solar rays that Ransom feels his body and mind, daily rubbed and scoured and filled with new vitality. Of course, we must remember that Lewis is here writing science fiction and not science fact. While the substitution of heaven for space was Lewis's favorite idea in the book, he also acknowledged that the rays in interplanetary space, so far from being beneficial, would actually be harmful to us. But Lewis was attempting to reintroduce a conception of wonder and beauty into the world. He wanted to move his reader's understanding of space from something merely cold, dark, and dead to a conception of the heavens as something radiant and alive with the goodness and bounty of their creator. And this, in the fictional and even mythological world of the story, he has arguably achieved. Indeed, it's one of the reasons that many dislike referring to these books as the Space Trilogy. Such language misses the fact that Lewis was attempting to shift our attention from the darkness and deadness of space to the glory and splendor of the heavens. It's just one of the ways in which Lewis was attempting to reclaim for God a genre of literature that was so often dominated by atheistic and materialistic forms of thinking. Tomorrow we'll consider yet another way in which Lewis did this. This week we're looking at smuggled theology in C.S. Lewis's science fiction novel, Out of the Silent Planet. And before we go any further, we must address the meaning of Lewis's title. The novel concerns a voyage from Earth to Mars, and details the adventures of the main character, Dr. Elwyn Ransom, after his arrival. In the novel, Earth is known as the Silent Planet. But why? The answer has partly to do with smuggled theology, and partly with the mythological world of the story created by Lewis. In this mythological world, we are introduced to the idea that each planet in our solar system is ruled by a very great, though still created, spiritual being. These beings were created by God, and are something like a cross between a Christian archangel and a Roman god or goddess. Hence, the spirit that governs Mars is something like a cross between the archangel Michael and the Roman god Mars, devoid, of course, of all the negative characteristics traditionally ascribed to Mars in Greco-Roman mythology. In fact, this being is a loyal servant of God, and was created at least in part, for the purpose of ruling the planet assigned to it. In the novel, such a ruling spiritual power is referred to as an Oyarsa. Eventually, Ransom meets this ruling power and learns why Earth is known as the Silent Planet. He is told that the Oyarsa of our world was once very great, even greater than that of Mars. Unfortunately, however, he became bent or evil. This happened in the distant past, before there was any life on earth. Because this bent one desired to destroy other worlds besides his own, there was great war in the heavens. Eventually, he was bound in the air of his own world. There, Ransom learns, doubtless he lies to this hour. The other planets have no communication with earth. It is silent. Do you see what Lewis is doing? In the fictional world of the novel, he is telling us a story very similar to that of the fall of the devil. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air and the god of this world. Lewis is doing something similar in his description of the bent one who rules the earth 
as a rebel against God. But as we'll see tomorrow, Lewis goes much further than this. At the end of yesterday's program, we left Ransom, the hero of C.S. Lewis's novel, Out of the Silent Planet, deep in conversation with the divinely appointed spiritual ruler of Mars. After telling Ransom that Earth, alone among the planets in our solar system, is silent, being ruled by a bent or evil power, the Martian ruler then says something quite intriguing. He tells Ransom that they do not think that Maleldil, more on this in a moment, would completely surrender Earth to the Bent One. Indeed, he says, there are stories among us that Maleldil has done some strange and wonderful things, even personally appearing on Earth and wrestling with the Bent One for the right to rule. But of this, he says, we know less than you. It is a thing we desire to look into. So who is Maleldil, and what exactly has he done? In the world of the novel, Maleldil is the name for God in the old solar language, which Ransom has gradually learned during his time on Mars. Hence, the Martian ruler is essentially telling Ransom that they do not believe that God would completely surrender Earth to the devil. Indeed, they have even heard stories that God, or Maleldil, has visited the Silent Planet and done battle with the Evil One. He admits that there is much they do not know about all this, but says that he and other loyal servants of God long to look into these things. Those familiar with the Bible will doubtless see what Lewis is doing here, for he concludes this passage with what is basically a biblical quotation. The Apostle Peter wrote of the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be ours in Christ. So great was the content of this revelation, notes Peter, that even angels longed to look into such things. Thus, as Christiana Hale rightly notes, the strange counsel that Maleldil has taken and the wonderful things he has done, the things that all the angels desire to look into, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, birth, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. Once again, therefore, we see Lewis smuggling theology into his interplanetary space adventure. In this case, though not stating it explicitly, he clearly alludes to the whole gospel message about Jesus. Tomorrow we'll conclude this program by considering one final example of smuggled theology in C.S. Lewis's novel, Out of the Silent Planet. We've been discussing smuggled theology in C.S. Lewis's novel, Out of the Silent Planet. Although God, who is known as Maleldil in the novel, is mentioned repeatedly, he is always mentioned in the third person. We hear about things that Maleldil has done, is doing, or may one day do, but we do not hear directly from God or Maleldil himself. Nevertheless, it is clear that he is ultimately in charge, and he is providentially at work in and through his creatures. For example, the spiritual power that Maleldil created to govern Mars tells Ransom, the hero of the novel, that it was only by Maleldil that he had been able to save his own planet from the destructive rage of the Bent One, or Devil. Indeed, it was only by Maleldil that the heavenly host were able to stop the Bent One's ambitious cruelty and confine him to the earth. Moreover, we learn that Maleldil has done marvelous things, and even personally visited earth to do battle with the devil. Lewis thus portrays God, or Maleldil, not only as a king, but also as a warrior. He is characterized, in an appropriate way, by what might be called the warrior or martial spirit. 
Moreover, the spiritual power that Meleldil created to govern Mars is also, like the god of Roman mythology, imbued with the martial spirit. He too is a warrior, loyally engaged in the service of God. Hence, once we learn that Ransom has been called to Mars by its planetary ruler, we can rightly surmise that it was, in fact, God's will for Ransom to make this journey. We might even guess that one of the purposes of this journey was to develop the martial spirit in Ransom himself. As Christiana Hale observes, Lewis does not randomly pick Mars as the location, as if any alien planet would do. No, he chooses Mars for a reason, and an enormous part of that reason is to mold Ransom into a martial character. In other words, God, or Meleldil, wants to develop certain martial virtues in Ransom. Things like courage, strength, and perseverance. Indeed, this is necessary, for he is preparing Ransom for something far greater in the future. Hence, through the providence of God and the influence of Mars, we witness Ransom's growth in the martial spirit, thus preparing him for his next great adventure on a different alien world, that of Paralandra.